This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org, and there's a uh, treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, let's get into Bible study now. When God gives that word to the man, the man becomes the first pastor. And what's his job then to do with that word that God has given to him? To preach the word to his family. Okay, and so uh, with that institution, church would have looked like this. They would have gotten together on a regular basis at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and... The family of Adam would have sat there around the tree and Adam would have said, God said you can eat from all of those trees, but not this one or you will die. This is the word of the Lord. And the family would have said, thanks be to God. And that would be your church service. Okay, a little shorter than we have now. Um, but that would have been what was happening. The church is the place where God's word is preached from a preacher to hearers. And we see exactly that with the institution of Adam and Eve, or the church in the Garden of Eden with Adam. Now, um, Luther talks about this, and I want to read what Luther says, because um, at this point with the institution of the church, this is the institution of the first of three estates. That's the language that we've traditionally used in the church. The first of three estates that God institutes. Um, and we're going to talk about those a little bit. The three of them are the church, the family, and then the civil government. Okay, and so first we have the church instituted. And then after that, we have the domestic government, the family that is instituted. And then after that, after the fall into sin, we have the civil government that is instituted. Okay? And this is important for us to know and to get in the right order. And we'll talk about why, but I want to read what Luther says in his Genesis commentary about that first. He says, Here we have the institution of the church before there was any domestic government, or civil government. For Eve was not yet created. That's why you couldn't have a domestic government or a family. And the church is here instituted without any walls or any pomp in a place all open and most delightful. After the church was instituted, domestic government is established when Eve is brought to Adam as his life companion. Thus we have at God's hand a church before a private house or a family, the former of which indeed is greater and better than the latter, the church more important than the family. As to the civil government, before sin there was no civil government, nor was it needed, for civil government is a necessary remedy for corrupt nature." Because the lust of men must be curbed by the chains and penalties of the laws with, that it transgress, not all bounds. Wherefore, we may properly term polity, or civil government, the established kingdom over sin, just as St. Paul calls it. 
Moses, the minister and the law, um, the ministration of sin and death, 2 Corinthians uh, 3 and Romans chapter 8. For the one and special object of civil government is to prevent sin. Hence, Paul says that the power beareth the sword and is the avenger of evil doings. If therefore men had not become evil by sin, there would have been no need of civil government. But Adam would have lived with his posterity in the greatest joy, peace, and safety, and would have done more by the motion of one of his fingers than can now be effected by all the magistrates, all the swords, and all the gallows of a kingdom. There would then have been no ravisher, no murderer, no thief, no slanderer, no liar. And therefore, what need would there have been of civil government? which, as it were, the sword, the caustic, and the terrible medicine, which are necessary to cut off and burn out noxious members of the state, that its other members may be saved and preserved. I'm going to keep reading, and then we'll talk about it at the end here. Luther goes on. After the establishment of the church, therefore, in paradise, is committed unto Adam the government of his family, the, the church is thus first instituted by God that he might show by this as a sign that man was created to another and higher end than any of the other living creatures. And as the church is thus instituted by the word of God, it is certain that Adam was created by an immortal and spiritual life to which he would assuredly have been translated and conveyed without death after he had lived in Eden and the other parts of the earth to his full um, length of life, yet without trouble or distress. And in that life there would have been none of that impure lust which now prevails. The love, uh, he goes on, maybe that's enough for now. All right, so what we have there is this. Three estates, three when we say estate, what we're talking about is forms of authority. Three forms of authority in this world. And in the creation, which of those is made first? The church. The church where God gives his word to Adam, and Adam's job is going to be to preach that word to those who come later. Adam, the first pastor, as well as the first husband. And in that sense, the most important estate is the church. After that, and this is where we're headed, God creates Eve and brings Eve to Adam and unites the two of them into marriage. And when God marries Adam and Eve, what a state does he thereby create? The home, the family. Luther calls it the domestic government. Okay? And in that home government, you have husbands and wives and the things that are described about them that are created. And in the beginning, before God said it was very good, those are the two forms of authority that God had made and no other. And so those are the two that are pure and holy in that sense before the fall into sin. 
Now after Adam and Eve fall into sin, what becomes necessary? Civil government. And that comes about then after the fall into sin. And as scripture teaches, as a curb to sin. Right? If I murder Mark and cut him up and put him in my freezer so that I can barbecue him next summer. Okay? Tasty. tasty. <laughs> he says he'd be tasty. Okay? The civil government, what's their duty? To punish me. Okay? To arrest me. To put me at least in jail. At least for a time. Perhaps for my whole life. And even necessarily sometimes do what to me for murdering Mark? Yeah, to put me to death. Now what's the reason that that must exist now? Because of sin. To deter sin. To punish sin. Was that necessary before the fall into sin? No. Okay? Now, so in that way you see how this third one is only a result of sin. And maybe it's a just punishment, right? As we head into an election year, right? (laughs) Um, That was a joke, but only one laugh. I don't know. Maybe you're all dreading it. Okay? The reason that the state exists is to punish wickedness so that the bulk of the people may be kept safe. That's why you get pulled over when you speed. That's why you get arrested when you, um, when you rob a bank or steal a car or whatever. Whatever the, the sin may be. That's then the government's job to maintain order and peace in the world. And these things then, even now because sin uh, is in governments and corrupts governments, there are times even then when there are wars where one government seeks to steal something from another government or is angry at another government and the two then are in conflict. The government's job is to fight that to keep the bulk of its people safe. Am I making sense? Okay. Now, there's a uniqueness in the order there because we see first created the church, putting it in the preeminent, most important position. And this should make sense to us because what is the way that you will be saved even though you might die? Is it because you voted for the right person in the third estate? No. Is it because you had a nice family life? It is because of what? Because of God's work in the church. Now the second one created is the next most important. And that is the domestic government within the home. And we're really trying to talk a lot about that right now in our congregation. To encourage health within that domestic government. Dads being dads and moms being moms and husbands and wives having the right scripturally defined relationship. And part of that is what do fathers and mothers do for their children? Yeah, they teach them about the first estate. 
If Adam's the first pastor to the first church, within the home, the dads also have that job within the domestic government or the domestic estate. Dad's job is to teach the faith to his family. It doesn't mean moms can't do it and assist with that, right? I'm not saying that, but it it lies primarily with dad within that second estate. Now, there's a unique thing here with the third one. Their job is not related to God and his word, although it can benefit God and his word. But their job is to punish sin and wickedness so that we might turn to God's word and be kept safe to worship God the right way. All right, I see a question here. Yeah. Well, when we were discussing this at my former church in Wichita, I said to my pastor, I sometimes feel anger towards Adam and Eve for sinning. And he said, well, don't agonize over it very long because if they haven't, I'm sure you and Joanne would have. They didn't catch the last part. He said, don't agonize over it too long because if Adam and Eve haven't sinned, it's sure that you and Joanne would have. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, and with those things, it's difficult to get to the truth, right? There is sin, and that's the reality, and that's why then now we need the civil government. But we have to keep some distinctions there, and we struggle with this in the United States. Is the civil government your savior? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think that sometimes we think that if we get the right civil government, everything will be hunky-dory and peaches and cream. Okay? That's just simply not the truth. Do we want a good civil government that does punish wickedness and promotes good and beautiful and what is right? Yes. But we cannot confuse the two. Any other questions real quick? Because I want to point out what's going to happen in the future. Okay? Nothing. All right, so on the last day, when Christ returns on the clouds with glory and the angel trumpets, will we have, and when he brings all the dead back to life and sends the wicked to hell and the faithful to heaven... Will we need a civil government any longer? Okay. There will be no elections in the resurrection of the dead. In a sense, there will be a civil government because who will be our king? Jesus. Jesus. And all the other kings that have ever existed or rulers or any political figure, right? I'm not saying they won't be in heaven, but they won't matter a hill of beans. Okay? That's why we can't dedicate our lives to a particular civil government. Because on the last day, they're going to be destroyed with fire. Like, I'm going to hide behind the podium here in case anybody throws anything. When Christ brings the world to its end and destroys it with fire, will Washington, Lincoln, and Jefferson, and Teddy Roosevelt still be carved in the mountain in South Dakota? Will the Washington Monument still be standing? Will Red Square uh, in Moscow be standing? Okay, all of these things 
are, are done, over, worthless and unimportant on the last day. Now, here's, here's where we're even going to get more dangerous, right? Okay? We also know what will happen to the second estate on the last day, the family and marriage. And we know this because of the words of Christ. When Jesus comes back and we're raised from the dead to go and live with him in his kingdom, is the second estate going to exist? What I'm saying is, am I still going to be married to Elizabeth in the same sort of sense that I am here on earth? No. And how do we know that? Because Jesus says, uh, the Pharisees or the Sadducees, he's talking to one of them, and he says, um, you know neither the Scriptures nor um, what God's Word says, because in the resurrection there, people will not be married or given in marriage, but they will be like the angels above. Okay? Marriage, even when you got married, okay, when you married your spouse, you said to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, in sickness and in health, until death do we part. That ends the bonds of marriage. And when these two are gone, all that is left is what? The church in the resurrection. And if you read, for example, I know even the second one that's hard to understand about family. Family is important here. It will not be quite as important in the resurrection. When you read Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. St. Paul says, all of this ultimately isn't really about husbands and wives. It's about who? Christ and the church. Because Paul knows that these two will not be there in the resurrection. Here, they exist And we should participate and be a part of them. But our hope needs to be in what is to come. So I'm going to say my little soapbox piece and then I see a couple hands. This means you need to love Jesus more than you love your political party. You need to care more about what God's word says than the doctrine of your political party. You need to be willing to be in church even if your family desires you not to be. And that's really hard. And we don't like that. But that's what God's Word teaches. All right. I'm off the soapbox here. I think we will have gender uh, in heaven because God made them first, male and female, right? Um, God makes that as a part of our human flesh. We will recognize each other. In fact, we'll know each other even better than we know now, right? Because when I look at you in heaven, Manus, um, I hope this doesn't offend you or anything. Right now, I know you as you are as a sinner, And when I know you in heaven, 
I won't know your sinful nature any longer because you'll be even more who you are than you are now when your sinful nature dies. Does that make sense? But your, your sex, male or female, that is a part of your biology. And when Jesus raises the dead and puts us back in our body, we will be male and female. We just won't be united in the bonds of marriage any longer. Okay, Tim. Could it be fair to say, though, that you'll, you'll know that you were married to this person on earth? Yes. That you'll be happy to see Yes, when I see Elizabeth in heaven, I'll know that she's my wife, and I'll be super glad that she's there and I'm there. And I love my wife. Our love for one another will be even better there because the sinful part of me that... Um, i got to be careful. Maybe I'll say it the other way around. The sinful part of her that doesn't like that my socks sometimes are balled up instead of pulled out. The sinful part of me that she doesn't like that and the sinful part of her that doesn't like that will be gone. And so our love will be even bigger and better even though it will not be within the bonds of marriage in that way. I hope I'm making sense. I hope I can still go home at the end of the day, right? <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay. See, I think if you deny that we're going to have gender in the resurrection, then you're really denying that when God made them male and female, that that was good and that that was a part of the human nature. And so I don't think you can say that. Yeah, Tim. Uh, going back a couple of points, uh, could we also say that under the third estate, or at least under the... Uh, Tell me what you mean. Uh, like, say, for example, guy owns a restaurant. He, of course, he doesn't want the, uh, the uh, health inspector to shut him down, but his primary motivation to serve good food at a reasonable price is because he doesn't want to kill his customers. He wants them coming back. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I, I'm not sure all restaurants that that's not. <laughs> or, no, it, it is. Right. There is that that's there. And I'm just going to say, ultimately, even in civil government, punishing wickedness, independent of the government that exists, there's still someone at work in the civil government, or even, I'm going to say, in the civil realm, to use the word that they're using today, right? Even if I obey all the civil government's laws perfectly, still what's going to happen to me? I'm going to die because I still have sin and God still will punish that within me in that sense. Now, praise be to God that because of Christ, 
My sins are forgiven, and I will be raised to live with him. But death still awaits me, and in that sense, it is still, it's really all three parts that's there at work because of sin. I don't know if I'm saying what you're saying or if we're in disagreement or what. So, okay. Okay. Please, please, please keep this in mind. Faith in Christ is the most important thing. And all these other ideas that are being foisted upon you that seek to supplant that or to even put these in a different order, right? Okay, Uh, like your family is important and you should in this life care about your vocations as a husband or a wife or a father or a child. That's true, but you should... Never, ever let that come between you and God. And the same thing within the civil realm, right? Um, You should never, ever, ever let any political idea come between you and Christ. And um, this is the most important thing, your faith in Jesus. Because in the resurrection, when Christ comes back, only the first estate will still be there. And I'm just going to say it this way. In a sense, the other two estates get absorbed into that first estate. Does that make sense? All right. Um, The misordering of the second and third, is that not what's happening in all the schools a lot these days? (laughs) Here I was ready to move on, and you had to say, no... (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's part of the problem, right? Part of our, we have all sorts of problems right now in our society because we don't fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Or we're not fulfilling our vocation in the second estate, and we have turned it over to the third estate. We talked about this in a Thursday Bible study not long ago as well, right? It used to be that hospitals and things like that we're an arm of the church. Am I like crackly? I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, they used to be a part of the church, right? Um, hospitalers were a group of knights who went to the crusades. And that's even where the word came from. They were taking care of the sick and the injured and the wounded and things like that. And in our modern time, what have we done? We've, we've handed them over to businesses, to the government, to things that exist in the third estate. And now we're doing the same thing with raising our kids. There's no greater task in that sense that a father and a mother can do than to teach their kids, because when they teach their kids, they give them God's Word. But instead, we've given it over to the civil government that is secular and doesn't care about God and His Word and isn't given the task to care about God and His Word. They're given the task to punish wickedness. (laughs) Okay? And so, if we do that, should we be surprised if they're not teaching our kids God and His Word? No, definitely not. Okay? We need to reclaim this idea. And we need to put things in their proper order that way. 
And there's lots of crazy ideas out there. Ooh, now we're loud. There's lots of crazy ideas out there today. And as you evaluate them, think about this process. Are we putting things in the proper order, knowing that the church, God and his word, and I'm, ooh, all right, I'm going to get back on my soapbox. I'm sorry. That's okay. Where does the Missouri Synod fall in this? We want to say it's the first estate, right? Because it's the... But really, it's not. It's... Okay, what's its job? To punish those who have the wrong teaching by saying you cannot be a part of our fellowship any longer. It's a bureaucracy and a worldly institution. It is necessary. But when Jesus comes back, okay, you can don't call the district president. <laughs> when Jesus comes back, the Missouri Synod will not exist in heaven. It will not exist in heaven. It will be destroyed with fire. Okay? So we have to keep that in mind too. I meant to say that. This first estate is much more pure than anything that exists in the world right now. Okay. Lots of shocked looks out there. <laughs> Lynn. What, what I, I've been explained to me is that when we die and we go to heaven, we do not remember earth even existed. I, the, she said, when we die and go to heaven, we don't even remember that earth existed. I'm not prepared to say that because I see places in scriptures, for example, the martyrs in the altar pictured in heaven in the book of Revelation. They remember what happened to them and they're looking forward to when God brings the world to its end and things that were done wrong to them are put right by God, and they are raised back into life and um, brought into the resurrection. And those that were not in the faith are punished on that last day. And so to me that says they recall their life. Now the thing to remember is, let's say, let's say I stop eating bacon and so I live to be 100 years old. Okay? When I compare that hundred years of my life to the amount of time that I will be in the resurrection, what percentage of time will my life be? A statistically, infinitesimally small percent. And so I have much more ahead than I have behind. Well, it made sense to me because when there's no tears or no sadness in heaven, how can you remember the hurt that you had before or, or worry? That's a great question. That's a great question and for us to end on. If there's no tears in heaven, God wipes away all tears from eyes, how can we remember the terribleness of this world? And the answer is, is because Jesus is going to put it all right. Right? So, um, when, when my kids were little and one of them stole a toy from the other one, the one who got stolen from 
was in tears and crying, right? Until when? In comes dad. And he takes the toy and puts it back and he punishes the one who had done the bad thing. And the second that happened, what happened to the kid who was crying? That's the last day. God is going to put everything right. And all that will matter on that day is our faith in Christ. And the things that it did in us in our life. All the bad things Jesus will take care of. And they won't be for me to worry about any longer. And so I don't have to cry tears over them any longer. Does that make sense? I don't know if my all examples break down at some point, right? Because when my kids, <laughs> they got the toy back, instead of being in the perfect peace and happiness that we'll have in heaven, what were they? Ha ha, you got in trouble. <laughs> right? We won't be like that in heaven. We won't be like that in heaven. All right, we're out of time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.